verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In John chapter 17, Jesus spoke about his deep and intimate love for those whom God had given to him, those who would be his bride, the church, first the twelve, and then all the many others that would come afterwards, and that's you and me. And he expressed his love in a manner that very few truly understand. He used the word one. One. To describe that intimate love relationship. First with him and his father God. And then with his bride, you and me. One. I hear people use that expression often these days. Especially couples. I believe that many, perhaps most all of them are, very sincere in their intentions in using that word, but often when I hear it I question if they truly understand its meaning, especially as the Lord Jesus intends it here in these words. May I say simply that God counts this word, one, and oneness, as being one of the most important concepts that he will ever impart to us. And he desires for you and me to grasp its full meaning and to embrace its solemn and serious purpose. Especially as it concerns the relationship both that we have with him and then on further as it concerns the relationship between a husband and his wife. The scriptures tell us that God knows our frame. And he knows our inability to grasp certain concepts. And especially that we have difficulty when we encounter those matters that we have to dig very deeply beneath the surface to find the meaning of a matter. This word oneness is one of those concepts. And that's why we find him giving us the meaning and the concept over and over again. Listen to these words as Jesus prayed for oneness among his disciples. Oneness first with him, and then oneness with each other. This is from John chapter 17, beginning in verse 11, and then following on from verse 20. Verse 11 of John 17, Jesus prays, Holy Father, keep them in your name 
which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love me, and love them as you have loved me. Now while the church, the body of Christ, is a great body of believers, and here in John chapter 17 and then in Ephesians 5, God is addressing His church as the whole body of believers. His love and His concern for His body is very intimate and personal to each member within His body, individually. You and me. And that personal intimacy can be seen ever so clearly here as he expresses his loving oneness between these two very special individuals within his body, a husband and a wife. And that's the intent that's being expressed here in Ephesians chapter 5 as God likens the intimacy that Christ has with his bride, the church, and that same intimacy that is to be experienced between a husband and his bride. And may I take a moment to say that most English teachers, if grading an essay in which these words in John 17 and the words in Ephesians 5 were expressed in this manner, they would probably give the writer a very poor grade simply because of the overly repetitive way that the words are given. Saying the same words over and over again in similar ways. But again, God knows our frame and He knows that we need these words to be repeated over and over again so that we will more fully grasp the concept of what He is saying to us. Why is that necessary? It's because we come into this life as a self, an individual self. And we spend most of our life meeting needs of self. And now here he is saying, no, you have to die to that oneness with yourself and begin to have this oneness with this other person that I've put into your life. As a body of believers, God wants us to be one with each other. In all that we are, in all that we think, in all that we do, and again, he especially wants that oneness to be the foundation of each marriage relationship. From the first moments of human life, God spoke that truth into the souls of men and women. That a deep and undivided intimacy was to fill every portal, every avenue, every fiber of the relationship of marriage that nothing less than oneness would satisfy the demands of love. Listen to these precious words. Genesis chapter 2. The first words are from God, and then the second words are from Adam. 
beginning in verse 18, these from the Lord. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And then in verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Are these words not some of the most precious words you could ever hear? Loving and gentle and kind. And God spoke these words right at the very beginning of the very first husband and wife relationship so that they then and subsequently all us husbands and wives who would come afterwards would know the depths of the intimacy and oneness that would be needed in the marriage relationship. My wife is to be bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and we are to be one with each other, one flesh, And we should never have anything within us or about us that we would desire to hide from one another and therefore can walk naked before each other and not be ashamed. Folks, that's intimacy. And to emphasize the importance of this special oneness, several thousand years then later, after Adam and Eve, Jesus found it necessary to repeat the very same words on the occasion of some Pharisees who were asking him about divorce, that separating out of two people who had become one flesh. Jesus said to them, this is from Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 4, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I've often said to you that I'm a very visual thinker. And words like these come into my mind in a very visual way. And my mind pictures my wife and I from that first moment when we set our vows becoming one flesh, one heart that beats, one set of lungs that breathes, one mind that thinks. If she were separated from me, how will I breathe? My heart would no longer beat. My mind would no longer think. I would surely die. Jesus said, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. 
Folks, all these words are so very, very real. With divorce being so common these days, a kind of death has come to so many within the body of Christ. And no, in divorce, the bodies of believers do not die. And no, they don't lose their eternal salvation. But oh, a death has surely taken place. You cannot rip away one half of a whole person and then those two halves continue to live. It does not happen. I know that just as Christ wept over His people while He walked this earth, so also must He weep even now. His dearly beloved bride separating and divorcing one another, breaking the heart of God. How tragic that is. What are we to do to stop that overwhelming tidal wave of sin and sorrow that's taking place within the precious body of Christ? The answer to that question is really a very simple one. It's humility, surrender, and repentance. A three-part formula that will solve all the problems within every marriage. But such things as those, as humility and surrender and repentance, are completely contrary to the hearts of men. And for that reason, though I do hold on to hope, sadly I'm not very optimistic that such things will ever take place. Our world and the body of Christ that lives within it are too consumed with self and the needs of self for anyone to listen to these solutions. But then again, may I say, I am a preacher. I am called of God to cry out these answers to anyone who will listen. And so therefore I do that now and I'll continue to do that while I still have breath. This relationship of marriage is far too precious a gift from God to simply cast it aside as if it were worthless and and meaningless. From the very first moment that marriage is entered into, it must be guarded with such great reverence and care. As we said in an earlier message, before we ever make the decision to enter into marriage, we absolutely must first be very sure of some very basic truths. The first one being, is that other person a believer? We must never yoke ourselves together with an unbeliever. And then, is that person the one that God intends for me to marry. Now some might disagree and say that God does not have just one specific person that He intends for us to marry. But may I remind us that it was with God's own hands that Eve was carefully created and designed to be the exact suitable helpmeet for Adam. That sounds really specific to me. And then also when Abraham sent his servant to search for a wife for Isaac, every detail of that search, every detail of that search 
was specific. Abraham saying to his servant, The Lord God of heaven will send his angel before you and guide you, and you shall take a wife for my son. And then there are so many other examples just like those. So then, may I say, as for me, I do believe that God had a very specific wife for me. And I am blessed to be married to her now for almost 44 years. And then also from an earlier message, may I repeat a warning that was given there in Genesis chapter 2 and then repeat it again in Matthew chapter 19, and then repeat it again here in Ephesians 5. When God says something three times, He's emphatic, and He intends for you and I to follow. Verse 31 of Ephesians 5. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Why do you suppose that God took the opportunity to state those words so prominently? And then to repeat them so often. Folks, it's clear. God is saying that a man and his wife will become one flesh with each other. With each other. And to do that, they must separate themselves out from their parents. Yes, as children are born and they grow into adulthood, they are first under the direction and the authority of their parents. But once they enter into the relationship of marriage, all of that changes. The husband and the wife must leave the direction and the authority of their father and their mother immediately and become one with each other under their own authority, under the direction and guidance of the husband. Verse 31 again. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Again, these are the words of God and he is emphatic about this. This is absolutely his prescription. There is no room in a family of a man and his wife for the authority and the guidance and the parental influence of the parents. Advice sometimes, yes, but only as a matter of loving counsel and never as a matter of authority. And never should it be divisive. And again, as I said in the earlier message, and I'm saying this as kindly as I know how, parents, you and I must get out of the marriage relationships of our children. You and I do not belong there. They are one with each other. But another part of the morning, husbands and wives must never invite the authority and the influence and the guidance of their parents back into their lives. And that takes place so often. The parents' presence within that oneness of a husband and wife will surely be destructive. Now, while this passage does not specifically address the influence of friends within a marriage, may I also offer a caution regarding influential friends because that's another destructive element 
in the oneness between a husband and wife. You can note here in these words that the oneness is between the husband and the wife. And it does not include an influential friend. Do not become one in thought or conversation or deed with anyone else except your wife or your husband. The essential command that's being given here is a command of love and not to be intended just in a manner that the world loves, but to love with that powerfully deep and faithful love of Christ himself. And that's not an easy concept of love for us to grasp. And because of that, here the Lord Jesus condescends to our childlike ignorance and explains it in some very basic human terms. He says to us, so husbands ought to, this is verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Yes, we do too often hear people saying disparaging remarks about their own body. Perhaps being overweight or some other disappointment with their physical condition. So we do hear people saying disparaging remarks as if they did hate their own flesh. We especially by the way, hear people who are depressed say awful things about themselves. But with that being as it is, these words that are given here are far more true and accurate. Verse 29 again. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. This is a simple fact for most all the people of the earth. If our body hurts or is hungry or is thirsty, we immediately rush to meet its needs. For some, even a slight chill or a rush of heat sends us scrambling for a remedy. And if we're in danger, great fear consumes us until we are relieved from that danger. But let me say, especially, we do not yell at. We do not argue with, we do not slap or beat upon or hurt ourselves. We instead protect ourselves. And we are one with our wife. So then, yes, these words are ever so meaningful and true. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And God has given us these words to say in very basic terms how a husband is to love his wife. We're not to hurt her in any way. We are instead to look and quickly meet all of the many little needs that will come to our wives. Husband, do you do that for your wife? If you're hungry or you're thirsty, 
You get up immediately to find food or drink for yourself. Do you also consider if your wife is hungry or thirsty? We husbands get used to being waited upon. And our wives love to do that. But what's taking place within our heart? And then also, husbands, when your heart is broken because of perhaps the behavior of one of your dear children, do you not realize that your wife's heart is also broken? I call to mind Job. We only hear of his suffering as his seven sons and three daughters die. His wife also suffered. But we don't read about that here in the Scriptures. Our wives have broken hearts just the same as we do. There are a thousand things that take place in our daily lives that we as husbands get concerned about. May I say to us, that our wife is also concerned about those very same things. These words command you and me to quickly put aside our own concerns, our own griefs, our own fears, and to rush to the aid and the comfort of our wives. It's simply the loving thing that we're supposed to do. Jesus did that for us, and we must do that for our wives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray.